Um, today, as we continue the Daniel series, our passage reading, scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 5. And it's a long one, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and then towards the end, 24 to 31. So uh, hear now the word of God. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and, and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels, and they had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in and they could not read the writing or make known the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed, and then the lords were perplexed. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Teko, and Parson. This is the interpretation, the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Teko, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Mosaic. And for those who are new and uh, you're joining us, good morning. Uh, my name is Yosab. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and, uh, and largely uh, been put in charge of our community group. So especially if you're new and, or you've been coming and you're not plugged in, please uh, reach out to me. My information email is in our website, njmosaic.org. And I'm really looking forward to meeting you and plugging you into our great community. And uh, yeah, welcome once again. And uh, you know, if you're joining us, our church, we've been in the Daniel series and oh man, it's been such a, such a, such a great series. And uh, just last week when P. Dave was preaching on um, chapter 4, we saw God's vision to King Nebuchadnezzar through his dreams. And he addressed uh, his pride. And he, you know, reveals that, you know, your great kingdom, it will pass. It will pass. And after being king for about 40 years, with many dreams of great significance, 
It says in Daniel 4.34, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Like most kings who reigned in powerful empires, he felt comfortable in his own beliefs, in his own achievements, but realized like everyone else towards the end of his life, man, my rule will end no matter how powerful it was. And although King Nebuchadnezzar went through many hurdles, uh, the truth of God was eventually revealed and accepted, and he found and met the king of kings, the king whose reign will never end. And, he, and that was his testimony. And as we go into today's text in Daniel chapter 5, several years go by, actually. So it would be great if each chapter was like the next day or the next month or the soon next event. But several years go by, and I just kind of want to give you a little context to help us transition into Daniel 5. <clears throat> After King Nebuchadnezzar... After his reign ends, the next, there's about four kings that come after him. And the first three after Nebuchadnezzar, their reign is very short, right? The next king, three years. The one after that, five years. The one after that, less than one year, about eight months, they say. And in those, in those transitions of kings, there's so many betrayals and plots and just uh, assassinations that took place. It was a mess. One of the king um, had kind of like um, mental disability and they're like, we can't have this as our king. And they just overthrew him. It was a mess. And the last king that's recorded in Babylonian history uh, is King Nabonidus, not Belshazzar, okay? And King Nabonidus is Belshazzar's father, actually, and he reigned for about 18 years. And um, as, you know, as he reigned, the Persian army to, uh, you know, to the north, they're getting stronger, they're getting bigger, they're getting more powerful. Uh, but there's so many versions and myths surrounding the history of the Babylonian kings, especially on Nabonidus. And, um, and for 18 years in his reign, for a big chunk of those years, he was absent. He wasn't in Babylon. And some of the theories is that he just didn't like being there. Another one was that he was looking to expand his empire, so he was traveling. Um, another one is that while he was traveling, for whatever the reason it was, he fell ill and he had to recover. Or, of course, you know, he fell in love with a woman outside of Babylon and he was trying to pursue a relationship there. Um, and, you know, the fifth one, you know, he was trying to stop the Persian Empire, uh, and he was out there. But for whatever reason, he was out of Babylon, and uh, he was absent. While he was absent, he left his son, Belshazzar, in charge. Okay? And um, Belshazzar would be the second ruler of Babylon, uh, next to his father, who was gone for most of it. So that's kind of the fill-in to chapter 5 as we go in today. And in today's summary, we're going to be looking at three points. Uh, the first one is the culmination and just the fruit of what it looks like when idol worship 
and pride just engulfs you and takes over. Second one being God's terrifying and swift judgment. And our third point is, even in God's terrifying judgment, that we could have hope in that. So uh, with that, will you, will you bow your heads and will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And uh, you're wanting to teach us. You're wanting to lead us to you. But you give us your word and you give us your spirit because there are real obstacles and a real enemy that makes it so hard. But as your church bends and hears your word, Lord, we ask, help us. Help us. Because we can't do it without you. Lord, I ask you, help me. Be with us all, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go right into it, you know, our first point. Let's look at what it looks like. The, 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 like the, the, the product, the, the presentation of idol worship and pride. You know, uh, it was really incredible because King Nebuchadnezzar, he had idol worship and he had pride. But, uh, you know, in his end day, like he, he really turned it around. And uh, a large part of that was due to godly men full of the spirit like Daniel being in his council, being in the midst. You know, and it's ironic, right? It was, he's, he comes from a people group that he conquered and invaded. And, and that was one of the greatest blessings. Not that he conquered another nation, but the company and the wisdom that he got from someone who came from that nation, even as a young boy. Meanwhile, after King Nebuchadnezzar and all this unsettled and terrible transition of leadership and its chaos, we see... Belshazzar. And his name literally means, you know, Baal, protect the king, right? It's their idol god, Baal, protect the king. And that's what his name means. And Belshazzar, he didn't like become fully the king of Babylon. He's second ruler, but he's just basking in this position. He loves it. He loves being this ruler and, uh, you know, this temporary second king of Babylon in his father's absence. And he's throwing this wild feast in front of thousands of lords, all these influential people of power in Babylon. And you might be thinking, come on, Pio, what is so prideful about a king throwing a grand feast? Well, I would say let's look at the timing of when this feast is taking place because it really, I think, displays the level of arrogance and pride. So when we look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, as this very current feast is going on, do you know who is sieged outside the Babylonian walls? The Persian army. They're already there. They're ready to attack. And he's throwing a party. He's throwing a party. It wasn't like the Persian army was sneaking up and they were being like ninjas. It was a huge army. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. You can't even miss it as they're approaching from miles away. You can hear the drums. You can hear the footstomps. But there they are. 
And Belshazzar is like, so what? Our empires have stood for all these years. If, if anyone has watched the movie Troy, right, it's kind of very similar, right? The enemies are outside, <clears throat> and they're like, our walls have stood for decades, and it's protected our cities, right? But at least in the movie of Troy, they fought, <clears throat> and they were focused, and there was even concern. Here in Daniel 5, uh, he's getting drunk, having a party as one of the greatest armies that gathered is outside, right outside his walls. Not only are they throwing this ridiculous feast at a really bad time, <clears throat> they're getting drunk. They're getting drunk in a time where important decisions need to be made. Wisdom is needed. <clears throat> Your enemy who wants to destroy you is right outside. But verse 4 tells us that they drank and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I guess the Babylonians believe that their idol gods like to receive sloppy worship, sloppy praise from drunk worshipers. It's interesting, right? But of course, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. They wanted to also mock the God of Israel. And when we can see in verse 2, Belshazzar commands his servants to bring all the vessels of gold and silver that was taken from the temple of Jerusalem. And this was taken about 70 years ago so that they can drink wine from it. Right? And uh, I, I told the staff when we were going over this worship, I was like, I wanted to name this sermon, taking a shot at God, like literally taking a shot and mocking him. But I didn't do that. <laughs> but they're mocking him. It wasn't enough that they're being ridiculous, uh, unwise, but they wanted, to, they wanted to mock the God of Israel. In such a life of such pride and idol worship, we can observe what they're celebrating. Wild and drunk feasts, probably very sexual and inappropriate. During a very critical time when there's greater priorities at great cost to other people in their mishandling of this. And this notion that they're greater than God. Their walls are greater than God. Their history and culture is greater than God. Their idols are greater than God. While our holy God, on the other hand, he calls his people to be sober, to celebrate when our neighbors, when we love our neighbors and when the lost is found, that's when we celebrate who created all the materials that these Babylonians are worshiping, the gold, the silver, the iron, the wood, God who made it all. Do you see the stark difference of the way things are celebrated and the way they worship? And as they are filling their already drunk selves with even more wine, pouring into the gold and silver vessels of God, we get into our second point. God's terrifying message and swift judgment. I, I, I love how in the verse it says, God written something on the plaster wall across the lampstand. I love that little detail uh, that they give us next to that lampstand. It must have been a very unique lampstand, but there it is. 
And, you know, if you think about this, but like it actually happened. And if you think about it, it's like a horror movie, right? You, you know, if you've ever watched like a scary movie and you see like something in blood being written on the wall and it's like, right, something scary. Well, God has these fingers of human hand appear out of nowhere and it writes on the wall, Mene, Mene, Teko, and Parson. Not only is that in itself terrifying, but people couldn't understand it. So they just witnessed something terrifying, and then they're like, but what does that mean? Right? They couldn't, they couldn't interpret it. And I love how the Bible describes Belshazzar's response to this writing on the wall. Verse 6, then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. He He was frozen, maybe even soiled himself. The party just stopped. The mood, everything changed. People are freaking out, and they're wondering, maybe, what was in this wine? What is happening? What am I, what am I thinking? Or, you know, what am I seeing here? And then Belshazzar announces, hey, anyone who can interpret this, you know, I'll hook you up. I'll give you a gold, I'll give you a purple robe, gold chains. I'll make you the third ruler. And just like in the past, Daniel's the only one who can do it. And he is summoned. And I know the writing on the wall, mene, mene, teko, parson, looks like just four words, but they're phrases, they're sentences, they're ideas. And the way that it's represented is this, mene means numeration. There's a counting, right? There's a, there's a counting. Teko means weighing. There's a weight to this. And parson meaning there's, there's going to be a division. There's going to be a dividing. And Daniel reveals that God had Belshazzar's number, and it fell greatly short. God weighed Belshazzar, and he came up light. There was no substance. There was no depth. There was nothing to his weight. He was like a dust in the air. And lastly, Belshazzar's time. It's very close to the end. And God reveals that his precious and his so-called unimpregnable kingdom in the wall will be divided amongst the Medes and the Persians. And once the writing on the wall was interpreted, Belshazzar has another weird response. He's like, okay, well, give him the robe and he's going to be the third ruler. Right? It's kind of like, what? Like, did you not hear what the interpretation of that message on the wall means to you? It's about you. And I was trying to think about, like, what's going on in Belshazzar's mind? Is he, like, denying, like, oh, yeah, whatever, that's not true. And he's just like mocking God. He's like, yeah, just give him the robe anyway. Or is he trying to be like getting on God's good side? He's like, well, he's God's messenger, so okay, I'll give him the robe and I'm going to elevate him. But, but you know what's really evident here? I'm not sure what Belshazzar was thinking, but what's really ele- uh, evident here is his pride. So remember, he's terrified. The party has stopped. But even in that moment, he says, 
I'm going to reward you, but remember, you're still below me. You're third ruler. I'm second ruler. You're third ruler. Right? This guy that, this Daniel, that no one else can do what he can do, right, reveals the truth of God, <clears throat> and he says, but you're still on, below me. And it's really cool because Daniel's like, I don't want any of this. I don't need to be a third ruler of something that is going to be destroyed. And actually, <clears throat> Daniel does become the third ruler of Babylon. And it is arguably the shortest reign ever because his rule ends that very night. Because Persian army comes and takes over that very night. And Belshazzar dies that, seri- that same very night. God reveals a terrifying coded message on a wall using some fingers of a human hand that appears and disappears. <clears throat> and then God swiftly executes his judgment that will impact everyone in Babylon forever. And this takes us into our last point. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, my voice. <clears throat> In the fall, I have, uh, I have fall and spring allergies, so please excuse my voice. <clears throat> Our third point is that we can still have hope in light of God's swift and even terrifying judgment. You know, it's, it's a, such a great reminder. Everything that Daniel has been, like, like interpreting even in his younger days. When Daniel was interpreting for Belshazzar, he was probably like in his 80s. Right? He was about, probably in his 80s. Old, but still going strong and right, still filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and of God. And everything that he's been interpreting for Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar is coming, it's coming true. It's coming true. God is fulfilling everything he said he will, and he's doing it in his perfect timing. And church, I want to say God's judgment and wrath is absolutely real. It's absolutely real, and it's terrifying. But we like to mask that part of that truth by just focusing on God's grace and his love. But the truth is this. The love of God and his redemptive work only becomes more beautiful when we also look closer into his righteousness and his holy judgment. When God judged Israel for their sins and exiled them to Babylon, as God judged, he was also beginning a redemptive work. A redemptive work for the people of Israel to get back, right, to get him back, even in exile, but also for the people of Babylon, including King Nebuchadnezzar. So as he was judging, he was also saving. He was also redeeming. And that's really great to see, Right? Um, so, so sure, this judgment onto Babylon and Belshazzar, it's a big one. And through it, <clears throat> it was him preparing to have Israel go back to Jerusalem. Because when Persia takes over, king, uh, the king would be like, you guys can go back. So in this judgment here, God is preparing them a way back home. When God judged the wickedness of the world in times of Noah, he was saving Noah and his family. Um, when he judged, uh, and, and you know, uh, 
you know, we can't, do not let the judgment of God take away from what's really holistically beautiful here. God's judgment on our sins would have been absolutely terrifying and real. But because he sent his one and only begotten son in Jesus Christ, he put all of that real terrifying judgment and wrath onto him for our sake, for our sins. And because that scary judgment of God and his wrath was actually put onto Christ himself, the redemption and salvation that comes because of what Christ has done makes it so much more real and absolutely precious. And it is cemented, something that no one can take away. Because the judgment is real, the salvation is planted, cannot be removed. Our hope in this terrifying judgment does not come from us being able to run from it or trying to figure it out. But we had a Savior who took, a, who took all of it for us. Because of Jesus, there will be no mene mene teko parson because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who does not fall short, right? who does not come up light, and his kingdom not divided, but it will be brought from heaven to earth, a kingdom that will not pass, but will be for all eternity. It is because of Jesus who wept blood, uh, who wept tears of blood before a God who was going to pour his wrath onto him that we have hope, faith, and even peace, even the most chaotic times. Amen? Belshazzar and Babylon's judgment was Israel's step towards returning home to Jerusalem. But God's judgment onto the spotless lamb was not just a step for us to going back to God, but Jesus paved the whole path. He paved the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't just help us take that first step, but he created the whole way. And I want to end with this, and I'm going to invite the priest team to come back up. Practically, what does all this mean? Okay, so yes, Christ did it all. What about us? And I want to, you know, say, let's look very closely at our life, the signs, and, and, and where are we progressing? What, what, what's... What's our trajectory? We're headed somewhere. The question is where and how are you getting there? If you look one year past from where you are today, how have you grown? How have you been filled? How have you lived for God? Or do you feel like maybe you're in a similar place or even maybe you felt like you've kind of dropped and took some steps back. But I want to say, there's only two paths. You're either getting closer to God and you're not. Those are the only two. There's different speeds. Some people are making a crazy dash to God or a crazy dash away from God. Or some people are slowly creeping away. But I'll say the enemy really does enjoy it when it's slow because it's harder to notice. It's harder to tell. But what helps sometimes is when we engage in conversations and dialogues with brothers and sisters who have discernment, who love you, and they really care about you, and they'll tell you 
how you're doing. But we don't want that if there's pride. And sometimes that is the last man standing in our hearts, right? That's what we're going to hold on to, our pride. Belshazzar was running straight into destruction. And the ultimate end was his mocking of God and getting all the people around him to do the same. He did this by having them drink even more wine in the vessels of gold and silver that came from God's temple. And the question here is, what are you doing and filling with the vessels of God? What even, what even is the vessel of God today? And in Christ, you and I, we are the vessels of God. Worth so much more than the gold and silver that came from the temple of Jerusalem. Because it was for us, this vessel, that Christ went on the cross for. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 reads, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A passage that Paul urges the church to flee from sexual immorality, just as the feast in Babylon and all the days filled with. In 2 Timothy 2.21 reads, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Church, we are the vessels. What dishonorable idol worship and pride do we fill our vessels with? That is the question I want us to just really sit with right now. How much of those things have already taken root and have become something you defend, something that you let distract you or that you even celebrate? Young people, if you're struggling with pride, we have such incredible leaders. As you've seen all our elder candidates, we have them. Chris is not here just to help with our budget. He's here to shepherd and love the people of God and our church. Young people of Mosaic, I just want to say we have incredible members in our church can be there for you. Don't let your pride, shame stop you from good community, good relationships. I've seen pride in my own son. He's five right now. I remember when he was two and three, when he was starting pre-K, he didn't want to go to school and he was throwing a fit. And I was like, Calvin, why don't you want to go to school? And do you know what his reason was? It was ridiculous. I don't like nap time. And I was like, Calvin, I would love nap time in my work or in my school. And he's like, I just don't want it. I, I, I don't want to go to school. And I remember I was getting upset because now he was late for school. And now he was interfering with my like schedule of having to do church church things. And um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I tried to uh, discipline him by hitting him with like this little stick on his like leg and I was like I'm gonna give you five uh, 
we call it meme or dechi dechi. Boom, boom, boom. And he, and I see his pride. He's not budging, and he's like, he's hurting. He's like taking it. He's like, no, I'm still not gonna go to school. So I hit him five more times, and he still wouldn't budge. And I was like, wow. And there was a moment where I was like, maybe I have to hit him harder. But I knew that wasn't the answer. You know what I did? I told him, Calvin, I hate hitting you or disciplining you. It hurts me when I do that. Calvin, I love you, and the reason why I want you to go to school is there's very important things that you're gonna learn—not just academic things at school, but life things that you're gonna learn about yourself. And I want you to not miss that, and I want you to know that. And you know what dissolved his pride? It wasn't hitting. It was truth. And one of the most important truth was, "I love you." And our Father, our God in heaven, says that truth to all of you who are listening and who are here. Says, "I love you." You don't have to defend yourself with pride. You don't have to distract yourself with worshiping those things that give you nothing. They promise you nothing. They might prep. They might promise you everything, but they will fulfill nothing. I love you. And for those who are married, and your marriage is in a rough place, but your pride won't let you address your marriage, and your family is your kingdom, facing dangers, and you're preoccupying yourself with work, hobbies, your friends, or your children, and you're pouring prideful, broken love into your children. Instead of building up and protecting your marriage, you're convincing your friends that you are in the right and your spouse is in the wrong. Taking shots and jokes at how awful marriage is. Ah,、oh, should have never gotten married. Ah,、oh, getting drunk. Spiritually, this is very similar to the feast of Babylon. And God says, stop. Offer our bodies as vessels to pride and idol worship. It's very dangerous waters. But like a thief in the night, God says, "I will come." Our days are numbered too. God's judgment and wrath unto Jesus was that we would no longer have to fill ourselves with these dishonorable things. That we would no longer have to be enslaved, and that we can. To gain and be filled with something holy, ready to do good work. And if your question is, "Okay, what is holy and what do you mean by good work?" those are very good questions. But I want us to stay here right now, which is, but today, let's focus on the barriers that's in front of us. Let's worry about that next step of whatever that is. But right now, that barrier, the layers of gunk of sin, that that makes us want to fight and hate God. Nebuchadnezzar said, "Reason came back to him through humility and seeking truth and repentance, and that led him to praise God." So before we go into our response song and praise God, I want us to reflect for a moment. King Nebuchadnezzar says in his last verse of chapter 437, "Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor the King of Heaven." 
for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Let's, let's keep it real. Every single one of us struggle with pride, idolatry. The first four commandments that God gave us in the Ten Commandments, all the things that get away from those things are pride and idol. But he says, I can make you humble. If you would seek and you would lay yourself down, God says, I don't come to harm you. I love you. I love you. He says, I love you. So, um, now before we go into our response song, can we just reflect what are these barriers? What are the dishonorable things that we fill our vessels with? And it would be amazing on this Sabbath day if we would have members, visitors, friends who are joining us for this worship be able to give it, lay it down, and can have the testimony that King Nebuchadnezzar had where he says, hmm, your ways are right. You are just. You can make the pride humble. I will honor and praise you. So let's just take a brief moment and Let's let's ask him for some help. Let's pray.